It's different from the Old Testament because in the Old only a few people were filled with the Spirit. Only a select group of people would receive the Spirit and have the experiences and all the benefits of that filling of the Spirit. We are so blessed living in this time and age. We have the completed Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit living within us and we have the ministry of the filling of the Spirit that we can have every single day of our life. How much better we have it than those people of the Old Testament. But I remind you this is something that God commands you. This past week, there was uh, one day this week, I wanted certain calls to be made for, by the staff and wanted it done before the weekend. So I put notes in the box and the idea was, okay, you call on this person, you call on this person, make sure we get it done. That was a order. I said it in a polite fashion, please do this, but it was a command. It wasn't something that was to be left to say, okay, if they can work it in the schedule. It was an order that said, get this thing done and we need to do that. And there was an urgency because of the holiday weekend, making sure we see some of our shut-ins during that time period. Um, I was thinking, I remember one that was an order that was unending and I was using Pastor Art's vehicle. I was driving upstate and I passed a sign that said, speed limit ahead, 25 miles an hour. Well, I didn't know how far ahead that meant. And surely that didn't apply to me. When that police officer pulled me over, and I said, actually my wife and I both said, we didn't see the sign. He said, it doesn't make any difference makes no difference at all. That 25 miles an hour applied to everyone all the time and it was a command that if you don't follow you get a ticket. Now the real, the real problem, do you remember this? You remember exactly where I'm going with this. You forgot to put your, your insurance card and your owner's card in the vehicle that wasn't my vehicle that I'm driving in that vehicle so I almost got arrested for stealing somebody's car on top of it and I'm not bitter but it was Pastor Art's fault, okay? <laughs> this filling of the Holy Spirit though, it is something that, you know, though God commands it, you have a choice. Obedience or disobedience. I had a choice. Do what I'm told or not what I'm doing told with a sign. Staff had a choice not to do what they were told or to do what they were told. We're making those calls. Every time we don't do it, it's not good. It's not good. In fact, you and I need this filling of the Spirit desperately. I heard a preacher, as I was reading about the ministry of the Holy Spirit last, last couple of weeks, I heard a preacher give this story that he was preaching in a town in the Midwest and we came across this family. This was years ago. This family that the kids were in the city and they, they had done well, doing really great. And they thought that their parents should get one of those newfangled cars. And so they bought them a car, they had it delivered to them, and it wasn't brand new, it was kind of used, but they got the car. And they went to visit their parents at the Christmas time, and they were just shocked by how dad was using the car. That dad was just having this brand new car with a motor in it being pulled by a horse. And he, the preacher went on to say and make application, and I'll share in a moment, but I thought, this is so silly. Who would do that? And I Googled, and I found out that, you know, this happened an awful lot. You even got a chauffeur pulling the car with a horse. You have businesses that used to do this. You even have the U.S. mail being delivered by a car being pulled by a horse. Okay. And we look at it and say, how come they would do that? Well, wouldn't it be silly if we saw a modern car being pulled by a horse? This happens spiritually every Sunday sitting in a pew. We have the Holy Spirit within us. He's the engine of our life. He is going to move us 
and take us where we need to go. He's going to provide the impetus, the heat, the cooling, everything we need. And then some of us say, well, we're not even going to start up that engine. We're going to just do it the old way. No, that, that's just senseless. You need the filling of the Holy Spirit. You control it. You say yes or no to the Holy Spirit and whether he's going to fill you the way the Bible describes, but I want to tell you this morning, it's a necessity. No matter gender, age, marital status, you need the filling of the Holy Spirit every day in 2017. Let me point out something else about the filling of the Spirit. Not only is it a spiritual necessity, it is spiritual yielding. That's what the filling of the Holy Spirit is. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. The phrase here, be filled with the Spirit, is very simple. The word that Paul uses is a very descriptive term. Uh, it's the word pleireo in the original language. And what it simply comes from is, or, or uh, it's from the Greek, and it, it, it probably helps explain by telling you where the word was used at times. It was used in passages and books that talked about nautical things. They talked about ships sailing. The wind would play reo the sails to move the ship along. It empowered the ship to make it go from port to port. So that idea of empowering is what we have with this, this sense of filling this, moving this, taking and providing control. It was also used in foods. You would marinate something. You would put salt in it, and that would flavor the entire dish. It would just permeate it. That's play reo. Marinating is play reo. Uh, you know, flavoring everything is play reo. It is filling the entire dish so there's a certain taste to it, that it's got a certain flavor. It was also used in the New Testament when like the, um, the disciples are in the boat and the storm comes up and Jesus is sleeping in the, in the bottom of the boat and they are filled with fear. The word is play reo. Fear consumed them. Fear moved them. And it, it, it manipulated how they would respond. There's passages that talk about the people saw the miracles of Jesus and they were playreo with awe. They were filled with it. It impacted them. They're standing at the graveside of Lazarus and they are filled playreo with sorrow. That's the idea of something that impacts your life, that fills your life, that, that moves you to certain emotions, to certain actions, to certain responses. Now, there's, the verb here is a passive command. It is, you let this be done to you. Though it's a command, it's the idea of you don't do this to yourself. You don't fill yourself with the Spirit. He fills you. You have to say yes or no to let Him permeate you, to let Him flavor you, to let Him just, you know, touch every area of your life. He does this for you, but you say yes or no to the Spirit. Should He, am I, going to let the Holy Spirit fill my speech? Am I going to be filled with the Spirit the way I respond to this traffic cop who pulled me over? Am I going to be playreo with the Spirit when the, bug, the flu bug hits in the middle of the night? Am I going to be filled, playreo, with the Spirit when I figure out my taxes? Am I going to be honest? Am I going to let the Spirit guide me? When, when all of a sudden... Here we are, we have an opportunity to talk about our faith. Am I going to be filled with the Spirit to speak to this other person about my Lord Jesus Christ and what He can do for them? Am I going to be filled with the Spirit when I am disciplining and training my children? 
Am I going to be filled with the Spirit when I go to work on Tuesday? And there I go back, and I don't feel like going back to work, but am I going to work the way God tells me to work? Am I going to be filled with the Spirit? Controlled, flavored, motivated, moved by the way the Spirit wants. It's a yieldedness. It is simply yielding yourself to the Spirit. It won't happen unless you say to the Holy Spirit, I want you to control my speech. I want you to control my, my temper. I want you to control my words. I want to be yielded to you. In the Bible, there is um, other wording that's used to describe this idea. You can find other passages that express it this way. Live according to the Spirit. We read in Romans, being led by the Spirit. We read in Galatians, the idea of walking in the Spirit. They all have the same idea. It's that same concept that the Spirit of God is guiding, directing. I am yielded to Him in what I say, what I do, how I act, how I, how I keep my attitude. And, and I'm relying upon Him to help me to do what's right. I'm relying upon Him to help me to not do what's wrong. I am yielded in resisting the devil and fleeing from Him. Here in the passage, He gives us another idea. To help explain it, He uses a negative command and an illustration that many people would understand at this time of the year. The negative command in the beginning of verse 18 is, be not drunk with wine. It is that simple idea of don't be controlled by it. Literally, He's writing to the Christians and He's saying, stop this. Don't do this anymore. Don't be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. Now we understand that when somebody gets drunk, sometimes they all of a sudden become emboldened. Some who can't sing think they can sing all of a sudden. Some think that, oh, okay, once they get that little bit of the liquor in them, now all of a sudden they are going to be able to take on the world. And that starts controlling them. I remember my stupid, stupid, stupid moment. When, one of the many. But a stupid moment when I was, came home drunk one evening as a 16-year-old and gone out with the buddies, went drinking, and the preacher was there sharing the gospel with my parents. Now, I knew he was going to be coming, and that was one of the reasons I went out drinking. And I went out to, to get drunk, come back, because I knew that once I would drink a little bit, I would really be much smarter I would be so much braver. I would know so much more once I got plastered that I'd be able to tell this preacher exactly what's in the Bible. I have never read the Bible before. I don't have a clue that, to me, the first book in the Bible was Genesis, not Genesis. There was this, this whole idea that I was going to tell this preacher off. And because I was drunk, I had that boldness to act like such a fool. Well, that's exactly what this passage says. So stop being drunk with wine. Where in, in your Bible says excess? How unfortunate of a translation. Wherein is foolishness. It's foolishness. It has nothing to do with drinking in moderation. That is not what the verb says at all. It says that people who get drunk, they usually do foolish things. Well, in that same way that he's saying, okay, they let the alcohol control them, convince them, manipulate them, and make them bold. He says that's what should be done with the Holy Spirit. Don't go out looking to say booze will do that. Don't go looking and saying your joy comes from liquor. Rather, you look to the Holy Spirit and let Him control. Let Him take over. Let Him give you the boldness. Let Him guide you. Let Him direct you. We are supposed to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. That's all it is. By the way, in order for that to happen, doesn't the passage say then that we have to get things out of our life that can hinder the control of the Holy Spirit? 
We can't let alcohol be there because the alcohol will take over. We can't let greed be there because it will take over. We can't let anger be there because it'll take over. We can't let lust be there because it'll take over. So if we're going to have the yieldedness of the Holy Spirit, I cannot quench Him. I cannot, I cannot um, grieve Him by allowing garbage to be in my life and manipulating and taking over. Rather, it's got to be the Holy Spirit. i got to get rid of those things that aren't so pleasing. We're talking the 1600s. 1654, if I'm not mistaken. There in Europe, all of a sudden in May, there was talk in one area of one community that people started getting this disease. Several of them were struck with it. In fact, the records have it that there was like 60 people. The next month, it grew into the hundreds. Till by, uh, by August of that summer, they reported cases of over 30-some thousand people in Europe that where this disease was spreading. People were in a panic. Two-thirds of the records show, two-thirds of the Europeans moved out of the cities and went to the country to get away from this new black plague that had struck. The peoples would get dark blotches. Their breathing was affected. The surgeons of those days thought that this is the way we need to take care of it. It's passed along by air. So what we need to do is put pure air next to people. That which is of a good smell, a, a good, good sensation. Let them breathe in good things so people started filling their pockets with different flowers. The one flower that was the most favorable flower was the posy. And so what they started doing is filling the pockets with the posies because then they'd keep away that bad air that would give me the disease. In fact, flowers were considered to be the remedy. That what they would do is around different flower gardens, they would bring out the people who were sick and they would lay them out during the daytime around these flower gardens so that they would be breathing good air. If the peoples were too sick to go outdoors, the doctors started ordering plants to be put all the way around their bed, especially the posy plants, so that they would get good air, clean air. Oh, this person's getting much sicker. He's getting worse. Get rid of that bad that bad disease, we need to make them sneeze. So what you would do, the surgeons would do, is they would take ashes from the fireplace. They would sprinkle it by the person's nose to cause them to sneeze, to, to get rid of all that bad, that bad air that was causing the disease. The peoples, they were doing, despite all the flowers, they were still dying by the score. They were still, they were, they were still falling in the streets. The peoples who were the ones who had come and collect the bodies, they created a little song. Ring around the pocket full of ashes, we all fall down. And it was a mockery about how all this we do with flowers and with ashes, people are still falling down. They're falling down dead. You see, what they were doing is they were covering up with pretty things. They were covering up with little ideas, but they weren't dealing with the real problem. The real problem was those fleas that were on the rats that would bite people were passing on this disease. Until they eradicated the real problem, you can cover it up with all kinds of posies and different things, and it wouldn't make any difference. I wonder at times if when we gather for worship, if there are people who are playing nursery rhymes with God. God, I'm just going to cover up things in my life with flowers. And I'm not going to eradicate the evil in my life that is hindering me from being filled by the Spirit. I'm not going to get rid of the things like the drunkenness, the things that he talked earlier in the chapter, the previous chapter, like anger and malice and dishonesty and attack on other people's.
I, I'm not going to deal with the corrupt speech that comes out of my mouth. I'm not going to deal with the clamor and the evil speaking that he told me in the previous, verse, the previous verses to get rid of. Or that filthiness in the beginning of chapter 5, the foolish talking, the jesting. And rather, he says, stop all this stuff. Get rid of it. And if you really want life, real spiritual life to the fullness, you need to be filled with the Spirit. You've got to get rid of the stuff that is hindering you. You've got to let the Spirit take over and be in control. That's the filling of the Spirit. Let me give you number three. Number three is this. The filling of the Spirit is a spiritual necessity. Number two, it is spiritual yielding. Number three, it ensures spiritual fruitfulness spiritual fruitfulness. It is in your life something that will, will really impact. Now I know there's lots of questions. Boy, if I get filled with the Spirit, will I feel some sensation? Will there be some tingle that I'll have? Will I see something, you know, dreams and visions? Will I speak in tongues, which is the most popular in Christian circles to say that this will happen if you're filled with the Spirit? Will I, some used to preach this pretty popularly, and in our area it used to be done a lot. You, if you get filled with the Spirit, you will reach spiritual perfection. You will no longer sin in your life. I've met a few people here in town that have said, yes, I've been filled with the Spirit so I never ever sin anymore. And it's like, really? You never lose your temper? Nope. Never do that. Ah, oh, what's that driver doing over there? Yeah. It happened in that one conversation just like that. I said, well, wasn't that a loss of your temper? And his response was, well, that's not sin for me. In me it's sin for others, but not for me. Well, we can fool ourselves and we can, be, we can deceive ourselves. What does the Word say? Well, number one, let me just say this, and again, I'll get more into depth on it and show you in depth. It, for those who say, well, if I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm going to speak in tongues. No, you won't. No, you won't. That's not true. That's not consistent with Scripture. Did that happen sometimes in Scripture? Yes, it did. That's a truism. It did not happen all the time. Let me remind you, tongues was one of the many spiritual gifts. One of many. In fact, Paul says it was the least of the spiritual gifts, not the greatest. In that case, he's saying that all believers have spiritual gifts. We know that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. But we don't all have the same gift. So God never intended for all Christians to have the gift of tongues when it was around. He never did. It was going to be given to some, and others would have different gifts. In fact, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, tongues were forbidden for ladies to speak. And yet, in we read here in Ephesians chapter 5, ladies are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. So they can't be synonymous. It isn't the tongues with the filling of the Spirit, or ladies wouldn't be allowed to have it, and yet ladies are encouraged to have it. So the, the, the tongues is not a result of the filling of the Spirit. And there are many occasions in the book of Acts where they were filled, but they did not speak in tongues. So let's not jump with one instance in Scripture and then make this the standard when the rest of the Scriptures makes it clear it's not the standard that every time you're filled with the Spirit you speak in tongues. That's not true. Some would say, well, wait a minute, if I'm filled with the Spirit, I'll never sin again. Not true. Not true. Even people like Peter was in the book of Acts, Paul was in the book of Acts, they were filled with the Spirit. And yet after their filling experience, they battled. They struggled. They had disagreements with others. Peter had a, had a tendency towards prejudice, even as talked about in Galatians chapter 1, even towards the Gentiles years after he was born again. Paul writes in Romans 7, 20 some years after he saved, the things that I would, I don't, that, that I would, I don't do. The things I wouldn't do, I still do. And so you have that struggle that even those who are filled with the Spirit still struggled. In fact, we know from Scripture that we are not sinlessly perfect until we get to heaven or until we're raptured 
captured or glorified. Then we'll get rid of this old nature. Then we'll have sinless perfection. But it's not going to happen now. And yet I'm supposed to be filled with the Spirit on a daily basis. So what will happen in my life? How is this going to work? What will I experience when I'm filled with the Spirit? Well, watch what Ephesians says. Now Ephesians 5 is the beginning of a whole sequence of different re reactions, different responses. I remind you in a sister epistle, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, and he goes on and talks about all these different virtues. Now if you want more love, you want more joy, you want more peace, you need the filling of the Spirit to produce that fruitfulness in your life. Now Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6. Let's go to the end of chapter 6. Let's start there. Let's do this in reverse. All the things that follow the filling of the Holy Spirit, what will happen in your life? Well, let me take you to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go down to about verse 19. In Ephesians 6 verse 19, Paul is writing and he's going to talk about him being a witness. For me, that utterance, he says, pray for me, that utterance may be given that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Do you realize that in the book of Acts, it says that when they were filled with the Spirit, then they were given the boldness to speak the gospel. Well, P Paul is writing, he's saying, pray for me because I need to speak boldly. Who's going to give me that boldness? The filling of the Spirit. When the Spirit is in control and I'm yielded to Him and I'm letting Him dominate my thoughts, my lives, and I'm yielding to His leadership, then I'm going to have this boldness to be a witness. I don't know of hardly any believer who truly, truly love and is, is in love and devoted to the Lord who says, I've witnessed enough. I don't know of any believer who says, I need help, who doesn't say, I need help with being a witness. That, that just seems so normal for all of us to struggle with it, to need to improve in that area. We, need, we can do it. It's the filling of the Holy Spirit. Go back a little bit. Go back in chapter 6 starting with verse 10. There's a whole paragraph. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, the power of His might. Where does that come from? It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the willies of the devil. Here he is saying, we're going to be attacked. The snares of the devil will come. There's going to be temptation. There's going to be attacks. How do we resist our flesh? How do we resist when Satan's making it easier for us? The filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us, enables us to resist those temptations. Even the sin that doth so easily beset us, that may be different for you than it is for the person next to you, but we all have one, if at least one, and the filling of the Spirit is going to be the key to having victory in our life. There's another area that's talked about. In Ephesians chapter 6, we jump down to verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. How is that possible? How do you listen to your employer? with respect, with fear and trembling, with singleness of your heart. How is it that you can work not with eye service, that is when they're around you put in that extra effort so that you kind of, you play the role but when they're not there, you know, when the cat's away the mice will play. He says, but as servants of Christ you do the will of God. With good will service as to the Lord not to men. And he goes on talks about masters, the employers having the right attitude towards their employees. How does that happen in a workaday world? When things don't go right, when there's problems, when you don't feel like you're rewarded or respected enough and then you go on and say, okay, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to relate here? It's the filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's empowering helps you to respond, act, to do right at work, which is a major, major part of a lot of our lives. We spend a lot of hours there, and we need the Holy Spirit's work. Hey, any of you struggle with raising kids? 
Any of you struggle? Any of you ever think you want to give them away at Christmas time? Okay. That, you know, in the middle of the night, it's like, oh, oh, yeah. Let's call in. The grandparents think they're so cute. Let's call them in now. They can have the 2 o'clock, you know, shift. He is saying this text to parents and the kids, and you all know it, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and following. Children, obey your parents. This is the key verse. You teach them from little on. Before they can talk, you get them to, to memorize, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and mother that may be well with you. And you're, then he says in verse 4, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Oh, that's so easy to do by inconsistency, by, by, not, by not being, you know, by saying one thing, doing another thing, by losing my, my temper and, and forcing them into a bad situation. How do you do the parenting thing right? How do you discipline properly? How do you train properly? How do you, how do you have wisdom to know where to draw the lines? It's the filling of the Holy Spirit. It follows after the commands for parenting are after you've been filled with the Spirit. Go a little bit further. Back in the text. Go to chapter 5, verses 22 down to verse 33. This is an area that all of us who are married, we battle with. We're, we battle with that area of how to really love. You say, oh yeah, we're, we're deeply in love. And you are. I have no doubt about that. But are you loving on a daily basis? Well, I respect my husband. Well, what, how, what, what, what do you do when he's making an, a bonehead decision? Do you respond right or do you tell the world about his dumb decision? How do, you, how do you act right? How do you forgive? How do you do what is proper? How do you keep your priorities straight when you've got work and different things going on? How do you keep that, that you know, it might be the shopping or the hunting. How do you keep that in balance that you don't offend your spouse? How do you work this out? It's the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's the filling of the Holy Spirit that allows you to communicate even over the times when the checkbook is bouncing. Okay, that when that when when yeah I know it was my mistake, but still okay. How how do we how do we handle those things? How do we do it right? It's the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit comes after the command. I mean, the parent uh, the the marriage comes after the filling of the Holy Spirit. He is saying you need this to do this. In fact, look at verse twenty one. Verse twenty one to live humbly where you are serving other people. How is that possible? The filling of the Holy Spirit. So that I can submit myself one to another. So that I can serve other people and help other people. When it is so easy in this, in this doggy dog world to want to be served. Go back a little bit. You want to see where, he's, where he starts with? He starts with the inside of you. He starts with the inside, he says, how to really have a happy new year. He says in verse 18, stop being drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. He's talking about what's inside you. He's not talking about what you pretend to be on Sunday morning, what you pretend to be when you go to work. He's talking about this is the real you. The real you, when nobody else is around, should be one, he says, where there's joy and there's peace. How do you get that? How do you get that in your life? Well, he's going to make it clear. He says it's not coming by getting drunk. It's not coming by doing those types of things. What do we have going? Is there an alarm going off? Okay. Okay. There, um, sorry about that. You know, God points out again. That what we got is this, you know, this idea of that. In fact, if people think they go to the booze, they go to the alcohol, then there's going to be joy. He says, that's not truth. That's a lie. He says, I'm telling you, this God's saying, I'm telling you that in drunkenness there is debauchery. There is all kinds of evil. It is a lie 
the, the booze commercials making it look so pleasant, they're lying to you. That's what God is saying in this text. And then he, what he's doing basically saying is if you want real joy, you go and say Holy Spirit control. And he talks about here in your heart, here's what's going to happen. You will have joy that will make you break out in songs. Songs where you want to sing. You don't have to be around anybody. This is that singing in the shower where nobody, nobody can hear you and you can't harm the people around you. Okay? You're singing to yourself. Why? Because you have this joy. He talks about three different types of songs. He talks about psalms, those are poems set to music and accompanied, it means to pluck literally in the Hebrew. The hymns, the humnas, it's the idea of those that were directed to God. And the spiritual songs we think is the idea of, okay, testimonial songs, singing in that respect. Now I've heard all kinds of messages come out of this. I remember sitting and, and hearing, you know, the um, musical guy teaching. He says, okay, what this teaches us is that when it comes to worship, the hymns are the best. So on Sunday mornings we should sing only hymns that are directed to God. Really? Really? This passage says they are all really good so things. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, even testimonial songs, are really good and they're a result of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And aren't we supposed to have the filling of the Holy Spirit when we come to worship? So we can sing any of these types of songs. In fact, he commands us, it's a command in this passage where it says, speaking to yourselves or to one another, that's a command. That we're supposed to be addressing one another by singing psalms about God, songs about what God has done, and singing these hymna psalms and spiritual songs. Beyond that, what he's talking about is this joy makes you break out in song. It's going to be in your heart. He talks about you're going to express it to others. There will be times, okay? We're, going to, we're just going to pipe up and bring out. We're going to sing praises because it's just such a part of our life, this music, that I just want to praise God. It's going to result in giving thanks. That filling of the Spirit says, while giving thanks, actually it's a command again, well, uh, participle command, giving thanks always for all things unto God that is just a normal, regular part of your life, that no matter what is coming, I'm going to give praise and give thanks to God. God. That even if you were the one that heard this past week, I have pancreatic cancer. There's nothing doctors can do. Shock, heartache, grief, yes. But I'm thankful because this is what God is going to do. How does that person do that? How does one to do that? The filling of the Holy Spirit. That even in the dire times, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Being yielded to the Spirit and saying, you know, God, you are good. You never do anything bad to me. And he says that's the attitude we're supposed to have. Bottom line is this. If you are a true believer, I say if because you and God alone know, if you are a true believer, you need this Spirit-filled life every day in 2017. You need to do that starting today if you haven't already this morning. Yielded to the Spirit.